Hey everybody, how's it going? Thanks for joining me this afternoon. I've got a great stream with a great guest that I think you're really going to enjoy. So I think a lot of us are aware that, you know, the Spanish Civil War happened. We know it's historically significant, but, uh, you know, we don't know as much about it as we do, say, something like World War II, especially in America, where it's it's something we know it was a precursor. We know that it, you know, it, it had certain parties involved that that eventually had a wider impact on the world stage. But I think the conflict is really important because I think it tells us a lot about uh, kind of the events that shaped and led up to World War II and, and that event that really changed the kind of the status of the globe. And it also tells us something, I think, about some of the situations we might be uh, seeing emerge in current Western Republican governments. So I think it's a really fascinating period to study. And joining me today to discuss the causes of the Spanish Civil War is the YouTuber Panama Hat. Thanks for coming on, man. Uh, no problem at all. Uh, it's very nice to be here. And um, as always, it's an opportunity to talk about uh, Spain, which is uh, <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, you're somebody who has a, a great knowledge of this. I know you've got like an epic, uh, you know, five hour something stream with, with uh, Ryan Turnipseed. I, <laughs> yes. We're, I don't think we're going to go quite that long. I don't, I don't have that kind of marathon in me, but I wanted to put together a nice uh, kind of hour long piece so we can give people an idea of what happened in the Spanish Civil War or or really how we got there. We don't have time to go through the whole war today. Maybe one day we'll we'll get to a longer uh, you know podcast series. But today we want to focus on kind of those causes, how they got there and kind of what that tells us about maybe a situation that we might be in today. But before we do all that, guys, let's go ahead and hear from today's sponsor. Did you know that your temperature at night can have one of the greatest impacts on your sleep quality? If you wake up too hot or too cold, I highly recommend that you check out Miracle Made's bed sheets. Inspired by NASA, Miracle Made uses silver-infused fabrics and makes temperature-regulating bedding so you can sleep at the perfect temperature all night long. Using silver-infused fabrics inspired by NASA, Miracle Made sheets are thermoregulating and designed to keep you at the perfect temperature all night long so you get better sleep every night. These sheets are infused with silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacteria growth, which lets them stay clean and fresh three times longer than other sheets. Miracle sheets are very comfortable without the high price tag of other luxury brands and feel as nice as bed sheets used by some five-star hotels. You don't need to sleep with bacteria that clogs your pores, causing breakouts and acne. Instead, you can sleep clean with Miracle. Go to trymiracle.com Oren to try Miracle made sheets today. And whether you're buying them for yourself or as a gift for a loved one, if you order today, you can save over 40%. And if you use the promo code ORIN at checkout, you'll get three free towels and save an additional 20%. Miracle is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. So upgrade your sleep with Miracle made today. Go to trymiracle.com slash Oren and use the code Oren to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40%. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash Oren to treat yourself. All right, guys, so let's go ahead and jump into this. Now, Mr. Hat, I, I know we're going to mostly be focusing on the Second Republic, mm -hmm. its problems in the 1930s and how that kind of led to the ascendancy of, uh, of kind of the military coup. but before we get to that, what was the situation in Spain before this? I, I get the feeling that we weren't really dealing with a country that had a whole lot of stability in the preceding, you know, 50 to 100 years before we got to this point. Uh, no, I mean, if you if you wanted to do a summation of Spanish history in for the, the 1800s, you would say it had every single thing happening in it but stability. Um, it, it was I mean, I, I'm going to have to simplify and kind of run over an awful lot here. Um but essentially, we, we'll, we'll begin with the invasion of Spain undertaken by uh, Napoleon um, in the Napoleonic Wars um, uh, in the early 1800s, which which kind of um, uh, it, it's an interesting case because he, he didn't he wasn't like with other countries where he just sort of, you know, brought his troops up and invaded. He it was almost like a sort of internal coup because Spain and France had been allies um, for quite a long period. And uh, Napoleon's armies were in Spain. Um, to invade Portugal, um, which they did. And then uh, they basically uh, overthrew the Spanish monarchy and uh, replaced it with Napoleon's brother, Joseph. Um, and this sets off um, a, a huge internal low-level civil war in Spain, um, which 
if anybody, I mean, there's lots and lots of books about it, but it is absolutely vicious. It is one of the most vicious wars of modern times. Um, it is also where the term um, guer guerrilla war comes from, or uh, guerrilla war in Spanish, um, yes. which literally means little war, um, because that's what it was. They were they were waging war kind of against an invader on home soil. You know, and there's all kinds of stories about you know horrible, horrible mutilations of French troops. It, it's it's kind of like um, you know, like how these days you, you see these all these uh, v vietnam films um where it shows kind of like you know american troops and they're out they're out in the jungle and and then they come across like a, a platoon that's been you know strung up on trees with their guts everywhere sort of you know it's you you're reading about scenes like that but in 1800 spain basically um and eventually of course um the french are forced out um the duke of wellington and um and the english uh, well the british army's uh, fighter campaign through portugal into spain um and the monarchy is restored under um this should come to me by memory i i've got many pages of notes here so i apologize if uh, i take a moment but um yes uh so joseph um is forced to abdicate and flee and uh ferdinand the seventh is restored to the throne mm -hmm. um and the problem that spain now has i mean they, they, they've been going under a sort of long slow phase of decline um up to this point but what's happened now is that their empire in the americas has more or less collapsed um basically uh they they large parts of it um in what is now argentina paraguay um what is bolivia and peru ecuador colombia etc etc these have and of course uh, mexico um have all declared or in the process of declaring independence um and there are attempts to to retake these colonies. There are armies that are sent after after Napoleon leaves, but it doesn't. It comes to nothing, and the the big bulk of Spain's empire in the Americas is now gone. Um, so Spain is now kind of stuck in this position where it's no longer a major European power, and all of its prestige in the New World is is also basically vanished. They they of course still have Cuba, and they still have the Philippines and various things like that. But we'll get on to what happens to those uh, colonies as well. Um, and so going on through the 1800s, Spain is um, affected by all kinds of internal struggles to do with the church, the power of the Catholic church, which is, of course, uh, you know, you, it, it, there, there isn't really a comparison between anywhere else and, and the Catholic church in Spain, just in terms of how much political power and influence it has. Um, and various um, politicians, um, uh, I, I, I believe, in fact, uh, during the Napoleonic invasion, um, there is a law passed which partially disestablishes the church and takes away a lot of its formal power. But nevertheless, um, it remains a kind of monolithic force in Spain. And there's all kinds of um, arguments between um, liberals who are influenced by all the kind of um, new reformist ideas that are floating around Europe post-Napoleon. And um, there are kind of um, there are uprisings by by peasants and by and by workers of the land and such. Um, Spain very slowly begins to industrialize, um, but the there is uh, the the kind of the, the dominant monarchical figure in this century is um, Isabella II, um, who is uh, proclaimed she she is the daughter of um, Ferdinand VII, who is restored under Napoleon, and uh, this is now this is the beginning of what we call Carlism. So the Carlists um, rally around the figure of um, Don Carlos, um, hence the name. And the the initial kind of the initial problem for the Carlists is that well, is is they they, they refer to um, Salic law, which people may have heard of, which is which is a whole kind of thing unto itself. But in, in very simple terms, one of the defining features of, of 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 Salic law, as it was traditionally practiced, is that women cannot inherit thrones. You only have male monarchs. And so now it, it's somewhat ironic because I don't think Salic law was ever actually practiced in Spain. But nevertheless, this is the initial um, causus belli for the for the Carlists who, who want to proclaim Don Carlos king instead. And there are three major wars between the government of Isabella II, which is seen as kind of more liberal and reformist, um, versus the uprisings in the name of Don Carlos and his descendants. Um in throughout, throughout throughout the century um very very costly very bloody um a great kind of uh the, the you know these these kinds of constant swirlings of revolution and disorder kind of uh um mean that spain 
is never really free of its uh, internal divisions and problems. Um, of course, um, over time, the Carlists become a kind of um, all-encompassing traditionalist movement. The word Carlist becomes synonymous with kind of Catholic traditionalism. Um, and and as, as the decades go on, Carlism becomes a kind of um, almost kind of med medieval style uh, reactionary force in a sense. What, what I would call nowadays something approaching authentic reaction where they begin to, um, they, 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 they begin to, they, they oppose themselves entirely to um, parliamentarianism, to any kind of liberal or even kind of central government. They want a kind of very, they, they, they want Spain to be united, but to be a, a united uh, whole but with each kind of municipality, each county, each province having its own um, unique forms of, of, of government, its own autonomy, you know, mm -hmm. um, again, in a, in a more kind of feudalistic way, if that makes sense. Um, so, so in, so in a way they're, they're the, the revolutionaries are the reactionaries. And in this case, they're pushing against a, a yeah. liberalizing monarchy and mm -hmm. they're wanting to return to something that is a much more traditional and, and even more feudal, structure yes they are reactionary rebels um right. i think would be the way to put it they 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 they, des they they desire to over to overthrow or remove the government and, and return to an older form um and so that that's kind of the the 1800s in a in, in a nutshell it's it's worth pointing out that um spain is industrializing um as other countries in europe are but they they lag very far behind um so you know this is they they do have an industrial revolution and there are kind of this the, the railways and the factories and all this kind of happen and you get peasants moving into the cities to become workers and all this this kind of thing but it's a very very far cry from um from what's happening in say britain or, or even in france or germany or america um and it should also be noted that that even right up until the republic of the 30s the traditional landed power in spain remains very very strong um, Spain, especially in the south, is dominated by these huge agricultural estates called um, latifundia, which is which is what they were called in um, in ancient Rome, of course. It's the Latin word right. for them. And what's interesting is a lot, a lot of these estates. I mean, they were literally first set up during during the the, the Roman rule in in Spain, or what what was uh, would it be uh, Hispania? Um, and you know, it, so it, there, there is this kind of unbroken, archaic. Um, factor in in kind of spanish um political and economic life where you know um the power is very much still in the hands of aristocrats and landowners and of course the new growing industrial class um some of whom of course begin to adapt liberal and reformist ideas um so anyway uh it, isabella ii um proves to be just despite her reign surviving the carlos war she proves to be something of a um uh, a, a rather weak and ineffectual monarch, and she is eventually overthrown and forced to abdicate um, under the auspices of um, uh, a, 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 a general, an aristocrat called Juan Prim. Um, so that yeah, so they they actually have uh, military kind of dictatorship before we even get to the Second Republic for a while. There, yes, right? I, I I should mention that though Spain is nominally uh, a parliamentary monarchy. There are a whole load of coup d'etats um, by generals and aristocrats, very often kind of both in one person, um, throughout the reign of Isabella in the 1800s. The, these very often take the form of what are called um, pronunciamentos, if I'm pronouncing that properly, um, which is kind of unique to the Spanish-speaking world, where some, some you know great general in all his regalia will ride up on a horse in front of assembled troops, and they will read a long speech and you know detailing the... Um, the, the, the grievances and the problems that are going on in the government. And if we, we need to overthrow the, 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 the administration and, and solve these problems and all the troops kind of go, you know, viva, viva. And then this, this spreads outwards and other, other military garrisons and regiments will kind of decide whether or not to join. And if the pronunciamento is successful, then the general will be, will kind of accede to office. Not normally fairly bloodlessly because it will be taken that, well, he has the support of the army, you know, so it just kind of happens as a as a um, as a fait accompli, um, as, as opposed to a kind of bloody struggle for power. Um, but this is a very common form of how governments change in Spain at the time. Um, so Isabella leaves, and the first republic is declared. 
um, which I believe lasts about six or seven years. Um, oh. If I can find the... Uh, yeah, so the first Spanish Republic um, lasted from 1873 to 18... Uh, well... Sorry, I should not not even years. Sorry, eighteen seventy three, eighteen seventy four. I I always um, I was confusing it with a with a different event. That's why I said six years. Um, uh, that's after the abdication of uh, King Amadeo. My mistake. Who um, who who followed? Uh, uh, is it, if I'm just sorry, I believe I believe I'm. No, it's okay. It, it was uh, it was barely a blip when I saw it on there. Yeah, I was like, when was there even a first republic? Amadeo, like, oh, yes. for like uh, eight months or something. Uh, yeah, she uh, as Isabella is followed by King Amadeo, who is actually an Italian prince who is who is brought in as almost kind of like outside help um, because it. I think it's it's an attempt to circumvent the dynastic problems of Spain, so they kind of take a third option. But um, Amadeo arrives in Spain and um, is pretty much just disgusted with the situation um he he can't he can't seem to make anything happen he's frustrated with the the constant uprisings and rebellions and disorder um so i believe he actually um uh he he abdicates um and declares spain to be ungovernable and then you have the republic mm-hmm. um which lasts very very briefly um before it is ended by um uh well so it's 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 somewhat complicated um because is it so is isabella is succeeded by um amadeo who is of course uh he is he is a prince of savoy he is not a he is not a a bourbon um and the when the republic ends um a spanish politician called antonio camelvas del castillo kind of um, he's a he's a conservative, um, what what we might call a conservative liberal, who rallies all the kind of forces, the political forces of the republic around him. He's a he's a very astute um, political player, and um, he, he he restores the monarchy under Isabel II's son Alfonso, who is who reigns as Alfonso the Twelfth. Um, and what is set up is a kind of so so he wants he wants to build this sort of. British-style constitutional monarchy, where you have the monarchy, you have the parliament, and you have regular elections, but it's a kind of uh, balanced, stable, stable kind of system. And the the only the only problem is is that in Spain they they mimic the British system, but without any of the actual hard factors that make that system work. If you see what I mean, so they kind of they 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 imitate the dress of it, but but they don't have any of the the actual underpinnings. So there is a parliament. Um, but this parliament is, and this parliament has regular elections between a conservative party and a liberal party, but it's a complete sham election, you see. So, so what, what happens is it's, it's, it's a system called the Turno, where the king of Spain meets with all the political leaders and the elite and the oligarchy. And um, between them, they, they decide whose turn it is to win the election, basically. And when the king decides, is it going to be the conservatives, conservatives or the liberals that this time, the king says, right, that's who's that's that I so that in, in a sense the elections don't happen in Spain at this time, they are made, the elections yeah. are manufactured. Um right. and what happens is on a local level you have political bosses who are who are known as um caciques, which is the Spanish term for like a sort of native chief, if that makes sense, or like a tribal chief, who will decide the election in advance in that constituency. They will make sure that the votes come in as they're supposed to, if that makes sense. Um uh, I believe um, Alfonso the twelfth um, eventually uh, he. I'm trying to think if he because I. So basically, he um, he. It's he okay. Dies. I know there's a there's a lot of abdication and and re- yeah, reshuffling yeah, there. Um, where where yeah. do we see the emergence of the second republic? That's you know uh, where where our actions really going to be at. When, so when do we see that start to? Take just to place? quickly fast forward, um, I believe yeah. Alfonso Alfonso uh, dies and his. Um, and his infant son, um, Alfonso the Thirteenth, um, is king. I believe from the moment of his birth, due to the political circumstances. I, I think um, uh, it was decided that Alfonso the Twelfth would abdicate if he gave if his wife gave birth to a boy, which she did. He abdicates. You then have a regency um, where Alfonso the Thirteenth is. So he's an infant king, guided by his mother, um, and Alfonso the Thirteenth rules. Um, uh, from he is born in check my notes uh, 1886 
Um, and he will be king immediately before the Second Republic of the 1930s. Um, gotcha. So Alfonso, um, the, 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 the reign of Alfonso covers a lot of things. The, the, mo the first and most important thing is the Spanish-American War of 1898, um, which I'm sure many of the listeners will have heard of. This is, this is the war in which um, America um, captures Cuba and the Philippines, um, and I believe Puerto Rico, mm -hmm. um, and a few other things as well, from Spain. Um, we can, the, 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 the exact causes and the, uh, possible American machinations behind that. That's a whole nother stream. That's a whole nother, that's a whole nother topic, is, but yeah. suffice to say, America goes to war with Spain and Spain is utterly humiliated. Um, their Navy is, is completely defeated and the last of their Imperial, um, colonies are swallowed up by America, which is the kind of new emerging power in the world. Um, and this basically sets off the, the major political, background to the to the next kind of 40 years um because spain has been humiliated it has been revealed as weak and incompetent and riven with corruption and it is it has ceased to be this kind of great conquering power that it's that it was you know um in the you know in the kind of uh from from the 1500s onwards um so um there's this kind of, again, as i said this kind of feeling of emasculation and humiliation which which passes through Spain. And this is the catalyst for a load of very radical ideas, both on the right and the left, where you have the kind of um, more reactionary style conservatives who say that, well, Spain has been made weak by liberalism and socialism and all these, all these radical currents. And there's a big anarchist movement in Spain as well, which assassinates several prime ministers um, around this time. And so they kind of blame all this kind of thing. And there's, 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 there's kind of, um, centrists and liberals who who blame kind of um instability and corruption in general and there's the leftists who say you know um it's it's the elite and the military and the oligarchy making us weak we need to overthrow them and establish a new regime you know to carry us forward and so the the political this political center begins to kind of t tear at the edges um until you get to world war one Sorry, just just for a second. This sounds a little bit like there's maybe you know some parallel with kind of Russia, where you have a a backward you know a backwards lagging uh, you know uh, system that didn't industrialize as quick as others, yeah. and loses an embarrassing war to a foreign power, and this kind of yeah. creates instability with monarchies, and it mm -hmm. feel, feels like it rhymes a little bit here. Yeah, it absolutely does. There are there are parallels there, um, and it, in in fact, um, a lot of Marxists at the time. Was certain that um, that Spain was going to be a place of revolution. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I should say not Orthodox Marxists because they they tended to focus on more industrialized places. But because Spain was seen as so so backward and so riven with instability, there was quite a big chance that that leftists were going to be able to catch onto power there because of the mass popular discontent. Um, and it should be said there was. I mean, um, Spanish workers and peasants. Uh, were and indeed still are uh, particularly militant um, in in their attitude. They they do not have much respect for the organized um, capitalistic um, systems or for their landowners or aristocrats. They they are they are quite happy to um, to kind of you know seize seize, seize the moment if they if they're given chance to. Um, so anyway, yes, yeah, Spain stays uh, neutral in in World War One, um, which is in the short term is great because it means that both sides of the war are buying goods from Spain as a neutral country, right? That's, that's fantastic. So there's this big boom in industry all of a sudden in Spain, um, uh, which is then followed after the war by a big crash because, you know, um, that's what, that's what happens, right? Your war, you know, you, the, the war sets it everything on a boom and then immediately the demand stops once the war's over and there's a big dip and this hits Spain particularly hard. Um, and this is compounded by um, a military defeat um in 1923 in north africa uh spain has a tiny strip of territory in north africa called the riff which they're desperately trying to pacify with their hopelessly corrupt underfunded ill-trained conscript army um and they suffer this massive defeat at the battle of anual where i think almost 20,000 spaniards all in all are killed or captured by a few thousand um moroccan horsemen basically it's a gigantic embarrassment um for the spanish and it seriously discredits the regime, um, which is swiftly ended uh, not long after um, by Miguel Primo de Rivera, who is a military officer and aristocrat who um, takes power in September 1923 in a coup, um, ousts the liberal government, ends the restoration kind of uh, bourgeois 
parliamentary system. And I think he wants to be a kind of Spanish Mussolini, you know, where he kind of comes in under the monarchy and sort of turns this turns the situation around. He isn't because he's um, somewhat he has quite a bit of support at first from um, reformists, even on the left, who see him as a kind of um, possible force for change in Spanish society. And he is in some ways quite, quite radical in what he wants to do. But he is a hopelessly inept politician because he's an army officer and a very sort of macho one who is used to just giving orders and having them be done. Um, but it's mm -hmm. not how it works in politics. Um, so he's he's very limited in his actual scope. And um, he's also a, a, an alcoholic, a very severe alcoholic who uh, is constantly embarrassing himself um, and having to then rescind embarrassing actions that almost every single day. Um, and this regime survives until 1930, when uh, Miguel Primo de Rivera is ousted, um, and there is an attempt to return to the uh, semi-democratic constitutional system that he threw out, but it is too late, um, and the Republican movement has gathered in strength, and Alfonso XIII is seen as um, having been a part of that dictatorship, and uh, for a number of other reasons as well, um, he's increasingly losing his grip on the situation. Uh, there is an election in 1931, um, which is taken as a de facto referendum on the monarchy, basically. The the Republican parties group into a big, big coalition, as do the monarchist parties. And the monarchists actually win by a tiny, tiny majority. But in Spain, elections... Um, uh, let, let, let's just say that even if you win by a tiny majority, um, you may just be swept away anyway, um, which is what happens. The The Republican forces are intent on declaring a republic. The um, senior military officers inform the king that the military will probably not back him in the case of a civil war. So Alfonso uh, flees the next morning after the election to France, um, but does not formally abdicate. Um, and so that is how we get to the Second Spanish Republic. Um, Excellent. Well, we'll, let's go ahead and pick up with the Second Spanish Republic right after we hear from First Liberty Institute. If you're a person of faith, you'll love this. The Supreme Court recently overturned a 50-year-old legal precedent that permitted open hostility to public expression of faith. To get the word out, this calls for more public expressions of faith. The overturning precedent was cited when high school coach Joe Kennedy was fired from his job. His crime? Praying in public after games. It took seven years of court battles to get the president overturned and his job back. To celebrate, the people over at First Liberty Institute created the First Freedom Challenge. They want people to fill local stadiums and pray after the game, just like Coach Kennedy on his first game back Friday, September 1st. So what can you do to promote the First Freedom Challenge? One, sign up at rfia.org and commit to praying on September 1st. Two, Record a short video message challenging people to take a knee in prayer with Coach Kennedy. And three, share your video on social media. It's been decades since Americans enjoyed this level of freedom, so let's express our faith. Join me and take the first freedom challenge. Sign up at rfia.org. That's rfia.org. All right, so we finally made it to the Second Republic. Now... Yeah. Uh, obviously, this is not going to be a stable government either. I don't think it starts out uh, with, with a lot of promise. But but what what was our situation uh, once the the Republicans have kind of finally gotten their way? Um, well, so uh, immediately there's there's almost a kind of um, it, it it it's odd because Spain almost seems to sort of sleep its way into a republic where a lot of the monarchists um, and conservatives are kind of ambivalent about the fate of the, the monarchy. I mean, ideally, they would perhaps prefer a monarchy to a republic, but their more immediate concern is how do we keep the institutions in Spain um, in our hands and not in the hands of the leftists, uh, which is the kind of, um, that is the 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 main um, kind of objective of the right for the first half of the republic, after which it just becomes, you know, how, how do we get rid of this thing um, when they realize that it may be harder than they thought? Um, so there is a new constitution, um, which is ratified in 1931. Um, and this sets up a whole, a whole load of quite interesting um, laws, uh, in, including uh, the kind of the, the electoral law, which, which 
again, it's quite Byzantine. I, I don't fully understand it, but it seems to be that you have kind of more than one uh, representative for each each kind of district or seat. And rather than it just being one winner, you get like the top three or four or two, depending on the size of the of the district, uh, of the candidates win seats. Um, or I think that uh, the, there's some kind of modifier where if you win over a certain amount of the votes, if a, one party wins a certain amount of votes, you get all the seats, I think, even if you don't win the majority. It's a, it's quite complicated. But the, the main the main thing for us to take away from it is that it encourages um, alliances and sort of electoral concordances between parties, because Spain is is riven with all these kinds of tiny minority parties all over the place. And this kind of forces them all to, to bunch up. So the main party for the for the right is um, the is La La, La Ceda or the uh, CADA, um, which is the um, see if I can do it from memory the um, Confederación Española de Derechas Autónomas, which which basically means Confederation of Right Wing Parties. Um, and on the left, there's all I mean the, the the left is a lot more riven with with division than the right. So there's um, the main socialist party, uh, the PSOE, and various kind of uh, liberal, more liberal, um, less radical parties. And there's orthodox Marxist parties and Trotskyist parties and anarchist parties. Um, and uh, in, initially, uh, the republic is ruled by President Niceto Alcalá Zamora, um, who is the pre- who is the um, he becomes the president, um, and. What's very strange about the well, I should say not strange, it's quite predictable, really, but the the initial government is fairly left wing. Mm-hmm. And one of the politicians in it is a man called Manuel Afania, who is a very, very intelligent Spanish intellectual, um, very, very well known, um, and also something of um something of uh he, he's very anti-clerical, very anti-monarchical, and he really does want to transform Spain. And he pushes for um, two laws, one on the church and one on, ed- one on education, both of which uh, massively um, curtail Catholic education in Spain. So it basically confiscates by force all, um, all church schools, all, all, all kind of um, all ki- any kind of ecclesiastical property that is seen to be in some way related to education. Sometimes it just outright confiscates monaries and convents and such. Um, repurpose for its own ends but needless to say this law massively antagonizes the catholic right in spain um this is the beginning of the kind of political division i think which will eventually bring the republic down um and it really it it galvanizes right-wing opposition um and there are there are all these kinds of uh moments where the, the the republic seems to be just picking on traditional spain any anything that smacks of Spanish nationalism, Spanish traditionalism is just kind of torn away, you know, or just attacked by by the um, powers of the Republic, which are, of course, meant to represent all Spaniards. Um, and there are all kinds of other restrictions on the church. Um, and uh, in 1933, they legalized divorce, um, which is another big kind of um, s- sticking point. Um, it disestablishes the nobility. Um, and this is actually condemned personally by uh, Pope Pius the Eleventh, um, because he sees he says this is an attack on civil liberty. This is an attack on Catholic worship, um, and it should be pointed out as well that, the, that uh, there's a lot of thuggery um, on both the right and the left on the on the kind of street level, where you know there are there are gangs of leftists who go around attacking churches, killing priests, uh, you know, burning down monasteries. Um, there are there are various incidences of attacks on convents and the rapes and killings of nuns, um, which happen kind of on, on and off instances. Um, there's a there's a massive outbreak of anti-clerical rioting um, not long after the declaration of the republic, and um, Afania is asked to comment or to intervene in some way, and he simply says that um, uh, the republic and the the integrity of its laws. Uh, at least from where he's sitting, matter more to him than than the church does, um, which is which is 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 taken to mean I simply don't care. Yeah, yeah. Th- th- this is something that I that really I was shocked by when I first started learning about this subject. Is just it some it seemed like the murder of you know uh, church uh, officials or nuns or 
you know, the burning of churches was just a, a regular affair when, a, when a, you know, yeah. if you won an election, if you lost an election, if you mm -hmm. had a rainy Tuesday, it was time to go out and, and, and can continue the shocking level of violence. And, uh, you know, the even though clearly anybody hoping to, to kind of glue a country together can't just let roaming bands of people go out and uh, attack churches and burn them down and kill priests and, and nuns and such. It seemed like there was just no effort uh, or, or very little effort to, to keep any kind of order when it came to this. No, no, there's constant breakdowns of, of civil order um, throughout this period. The, the, the Republic. Um, so it, it, it should be worth mentioning that, that aside from the army, you have this very big police force in Spain called the Civil Guard, uh, the Guardia Civil, who are one of the oldest police forces in the world. They're, they're, they're more a kind of gendarmerie than a traditional Western style sort of cop force. Um, but they are charged with keeping order and they are, they're known to be a, more on the kind of traditionalist side, but they are basic. A lot, a lot of them are, are more or less um, in favor of the, of what the Republic's doing, or at least they're, 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 they're too ambivalent to uh, protest or in any meaningful way. And a lot of them are quite corrupt as well, but the, the Republic actually founds a third police force called the assault guards um, who are a blue uniformed, um, basically heavy police force. You know, they're armed, they, they've got riot gear, you know, well, what, what was riot gear in the 30s, etc. And they're kind of an urban protection force for the Republic. They are a, a force founded specifically to protect the the, the integrity of the, of the Republic, as opposed to the Civil Guard and the Army, who, of course, are, you know, they they most of their history is serving under kings, right? They're not used to um, Republican constitutionalism. So this force is designed to be explicitly loyal to the Republic. Um, mm. And... Um, uh, during Athania's time as as prime minister, he also um, uh, expels the, the the Jesuits from Spain, um, which seems like something out of kind of the 1700s, you know, the, the the expulsion of the Jesuits again. But yes, he 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 does that because the 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 Jesuits control um, a lot of the best, absolutely number one independent schools in Spain. Um, you know, they have they have the monopoly on kind of good education. And obviously, a kind of secular leftist republic can't have that, so they expel the Jesuits and confiscate the schools for themselves. Um, and uh, the um, the Athania government also passes several land reform laws, which are designed to break up or to antagonize the big landowners. Um, and this causes, you know, all kinds of upset. The landowners begin to fund uh, right wing parties and such. Um, and Athania also reforms the army and uh, massively cuts down the size of the officer corps. He he actually shuts. Um, uh, I think it's the the Zaragoza uh, Military Academy um, or the General Military Academy, which is a new kind of big, flashy military academy to train officers in all branches of the of the Spanish armed forces. Um, and, and Athania shuts this down. And the superintendent of the college of the time was a young um, colonel called Francisco Franco. Um, and for because and Francisco Franco adored being head of this college. He, it, it, he, he, it was his, he, he absolutely loved being um, a trainer of young officers. He, he loved he, he, had, he adored kind of running all the, the different parts of this place. And and it was a great point of pride for him. And it, it was a very great personal antagonism on him when this place was arbitrarily shut down and it earned uh athania franco's personal enmity which you know um, i'm sure i don't need to explain why we'll that is later down yeah. the road yeah that, that will come back yeah um now there's an election the first big election since the beginning of the republic in 1933 and interestingly these elections are won in a landslide by the right wing theta the confederation of the right um this is partially because the left is completely disorganized and can't form a coalition. Um, the anarchist parties, for example, abstain completely. Um, but also just because there's quite a lot of general um, grumbling about the actions of the, the um, Republican government. So the right kind of sweeps, 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 the, um, sweeps the election and are now the largest party in the parliament. However, um, Alcala Zamora, the president, is hesitant to actually make Theda the ruling party, even though they have the largest number of seats by far. Um, and instead, he appoints Alejandro LaRue, who is a kind of centrist liberal uh, party leader, as prime minister. Now, 
this would basically be um, the same as if here in the UK, let's let's say that the 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 Tories win like a hundred seat majority, and the king appointed the head of like the Liberal Democrat Party with like twenty seats as prime minister. You see, it's not it's not how parliamentary government is supposed to work, right? Yeah, as an American, I'm not allowed to understand parliamentary government, but I, I, <laughs> I can I can at the very least grasp the fact that uh, yeah, yeah th this is not how that's supposed to win. This is this is basically a stolen election, right? Yeah. Um, it's, it's, and th this, this is of course, a, a this is a problem on two levels is because one, it proves how the Republic is, 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 well, it's not a real, it's not a real Republic because the leaders of it or the president are too afraid to give power to the, to the party that won, won the elections because the Republican establishment are terrified of the right in general. Um, and are unwilling to let them have any power, even when they win elections. Um, that may sound familiar. Um, yeah. And uh, the the immediate uh, consequence of this is that the the Theda tacitly agreed to form a coalition with the radicals, but they are very very savvy at playing politics, and they they eventually reach. So because Alejandro Larue is so personally corrupt and incompetent. And admits himself that he doesn't really understand how to how to fix Spain in any in any way at all. Um, he constantly gets into scandals. Um, he constantly gets into um, political deadlocks. And every time he does, the right wing confederation just goes, "We'll get you out of this. We'll 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 help you if you give us another minister in the uh, in the government." So eventually, the Theda control um, the agricultural ministry, the war ministry. And one other, which I can't remember now, but we'll we'll move on from that. But it, it's, it's, it's I, it, I think it was the Labour Ministry actually, which is very significant because um, Hil Robles, who is the leader of the Theda, and um, had if it wasn't for what happened, probably would have ended up as uh, Prime Minister or leader of Spain at some point. Um, he uses a he has this very clever strategy where he kind of divides and conquers the Spanish trade unions, where he. He, he will provoke one union into a strike, make sure the others don't come out in favor of it, then use um, the then use an anti-strike law to crush that union, basically. And he does this one by one quite successfully, breaking up a lot of quite significant Spanish trade unions. Um, mm. And uh, this goes on until 1936. And in 1936, um, the Republic is beginning to reach a breaking point where... Um, civil disorder in the streets has reached an apogee, and there are just there are there are all there are just murders every single week in the you know sometimes in the hundreds from political disputes, people being stabbed and shot and having houses robbed. Churches are still being attacked and burned, and monks and nuns and priests are being beaten, and all sorts of atrocities are happening. Um, and very significantly, uh, a right wing politician is uh, shot. Um, a very prominent right-wing politician is shot by members of the assault guards while they're in uniform, um, which is just basically to everyone that just looks like it's the Republic killing its opposition. Yeah. They're I just mean, assassinating political opposition. Yeah. Right. I mean, um, the, I drew a parallel with, with Turnip um, just after the uh, Mar-a-Lago raid in America, where I said, look, you have, you have a Republic just doing everything short of outright, just, you know, murdering its opposition to stop them from, from being a powerful political force. And it's interesting because we fast forward now uh, what is it? A year and a half, nearly two years um, since since that happened, mm -hmm. and um, we've got now what it, it wasn't 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 um, a certain right wing politician in America arrested. Uh, well, it's it's <laughs> only his fourth indictment. Uh, oh, okay. Georgia here fourth. recently. He's only got the federal run, the New York one, the Georgia one. Like, is they're just stacking okay. up. Uh, he, they're he, just stacking. He yeah. would need to live to I think about two hundred and twelve to serve all of the possible present time he he could at the moment. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean it's it's just um, it's it's just this is always when republics begin to totter is when the establishment is just openly prescribing its 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 electoral rivals. Um, and Spain is certainly not the only time when this is a, this has happened right before some serious political turmoil has been unleashed. Um, so it does it does rather does rather does rather worry one, I think, uh, for what's going to happen. But we we can only see. Um, so yes, uh, so come the 1936 elections, the left openly rigs them. 
um, this for for a long time, for for many years after the Civil War, up to, up, up to including re- recent years, you, you you have leftists and pro Republicans going, "Oh, the military overthrew the democratically elected Workers Republic." Oh, look 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 at these evil you know right wingers you know overthrowing our republic, and and then you actually you, you look at the facts, and it's very clear from the electoral data that the election was just openly stolen. You know, the the ballot boxes were stuffed all over the country by leftist political agitants. There were there are all these weird stories where in some districts known to be heavily leftist, anybody wearing a a, a suit and tie or a collar and tie were prevented from, from entering the, the polling station, right? Like any anybody who looked even slightly well dressed right. was was prevented from going into vote because they might be a right winger, right? You see? Um and uh, priests were forbidden from voting. Anybody wearing clerical dress was prohibited from voting. In some districts, uh, women were, were were barred from 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 voting because they voted um, for center right parties too much, right? The... Spanish women were overwhelmingly Catholic and, and conservative. Right. And what's interesting is they they had been given the right to vote right before the 1933 election, which the right had swept in a landslide. And a lot of leftists blamed women for that. They said all these women are too, too traditionalist, too right-wing. They vote how their husbands tell them. They all went out and, and voted for the Catholic parties. So we ha- so in some districts, women were told by leftist militants to stay home or they would be escorted home, if you catch my meaning. This, um, is, the, this in, is the inversion of the American suffra- uh, suffragette uh, scenario here. Yeah, yeah the, basically. The, 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 the right is winning through the empowerment of the female vote. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, the left... Um, d- despite all the ballot stuffing and corruption, the left only win by a tiny margin anyway. Um, the popular front only wins by a tiny margin. Um, and they immediately take this as, oh, well, the, the, the revolution is here. It's happened. We've done it. We're, you know, to, 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 to hell with all this Republican LARPing. This is, Spain is a leftist country now. And they, they parade around, you know, there's even more burning of churches and killing of priests prisons are opened and all the inmates are let out onto the streets um right-wing politicians are like assaulted and barricaded into their homes and there's you know assaults on property on landowners on factories you know chaos just begins to envelop the country um and in july 1936 a group of military officers decide that things have gone too far and organize a coup d'etat and the coup uh is unsuccessful um partially because in a lot of areas the military units are overwhelmed by uh, leftist mobs before they can leave the barracks, but they do manage to capture the large chunk of Western Spain and the African protectorates. And we all know what happens from that. You have the civil war. Um, so that very briefly is the rundown of, of, of the timeline of events, but shall we perhaps sort of talk about the, the, the parallels between some things we've seen in modern times and what went on in the Republic? I mean, what, are, what, are, what are your kind of um, broad thoughts on, on this, this sort of this, this overview of the Republic. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. Like you said, there's, there's, you know, we've already hit on some of these, but it's very clear that uh, the escalation of uh, mob violence allowed in the streets uh, after we look at the, the, you know, what's been allowed in the, mm-hmm. was allowed in the United States uh, during the lockdowns in, yeah. in uh, you know, COVID uh, mass rioting allowed while the, you know, one right wing response immediately becomes, uh, you know, the next nine eleven, and the the state yeah. starts locking up anybody who happened to be standing, you mm. know, two hundred miles away from from the event. Yeah. Um. So so we obviously see that that is a huge uh, issue. Uh. The the not even allowed to question electoral efficacy at this point. Obviously, they're they're attempting to mm-hmm. uh, arrest and imprison. Uh, you know, uh, uh, the majority uh, or the the major uh, political opposition uh, by, you know, just for saying, you know, maybe these things didn't go down the way they're supposed to. Uh, These are things that I think are are pretty obviously uh, testing the limits of uh, kind of the durability of the the democratic myth, the Republican, uh, the idea that you can hold the Republic together. Yeah. Um, I think it's especially worth um, pointing out the, uh, the uh, summer of fentanyl, as I call it, um, mm-hmm. without wanting to <laughs> get straight too far from the acceptable language. But um, that struck me, um, particularly when it happened, because, of course, as you say, it was it was during the supposed um, uh, pandemic in which everyone was supposed to be, you know, s- 
staying inside and if you went outside your your grandma would die you know type thing and um and of course you know that that went on for for however long it did and and uh very few people were punished for it whereas as you say the the january 6th incident you know people are quite literally being hounded and you know they're going to be stuck in court for you know decade they're, they're a lot of those people's lives are basically just ruined don't they i mean you know they're not there's no easy way out of that Oh yeah, well, um, I mean, the 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 most amazing part of this now is uh, they're going after Trump's lawyers, right? So yeah. people like Jenna Ellis are being named in these indictments, and so now you you can't even, as a opposing political uh, uh, opposing politician in the United States, probably even get legal representation nope. anymore because anybody who uh, is uh, anybody who is foolish enough to give you legal advice could be a co-conspirator. Yeah. Uh, you know, and again, whether these people get uh, convicted or not. They're going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, you know, mm. in their own in their own legal defense. Yeah. Uh, so they'll be ruined financially, though, and they'll be destroyed professionally, even if they don't actually serve time. So the you know the effect is the same. And we all know that the the the, the legalist reasoning that they give is not the real reasoning behind it, right? They they're not going after Trump's lawyers just because oh well you know it, it it could be a co-conspiratorial thing they're going after them because they want to make it impossible for him to have legal defense right or anybody in that sort of that stripe to have legal defense and it's 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 again we we have to highlight the danger of when republics begin to act like this because it is the end of them as formal republics as, as respectable political entities they that 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 is when they because how do you go back from this if the 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 oligarchy that is that is currently sat atop American politics that controls everything. They don't they don't care about they don't care about America or the Constitution or any of these things that that are all often brought up in American political discussion. They don't, they don't give a damn about any of that. It's just about power and how they maintain it. They don't care what happens to the country or, or what it or, or or what it looks like. And this and if you want to see a a scarily um approximate blueprint of of how these people operate and the things they will do um the the book i recommend people have been asking in the chat about books to recommend the absolute number one best source for the collapse of the republic is um stanley g payne's the collapse of the second spanish Re republic um it's a very very good book um I, there, there are pdfs of it out, out there as well um if you if you do want to get hold of, i don't know if it's an academic book so hard copies might be a bit expensive but there are mm -hmm. there are copies um out uh, around I, I obviously can't um i can't be out on, on stream uh, promoting a free copy but uh so, so, <laughs> you so, might so, be so able I, to find it yeah. I, might, I may be able to find it if i dig around um yeah. but yeah that, that is the number one source for this and, and as well just you know a lot of the a lot of the infighting leading up to the civil war reminds me of what i see in america i mean i don't know if you heard um aa uh recently on a stream mentioned that he went on a cruise and there were a lot of americans on the boat and there were like some uh some like african americans and there were some like uh sort of um i think he said like uh, east coast elite types i think and and he said that what was remarkable is the absolute just open hatred these two groups had for each other where they just they wouldn't talk to each other they were just openly insulting each other and like just screaming insults and it, it it reminds me a little bit of um especially when, when whenever i hear about like some uh like some like this there'll always be some screenshot or some news report or recording or of like some american like pro democrat or leftist or whatever just openly talking about like you know how um well all these all these you know american uh, Republican voting Christians, they just need to die. You know, we just need to get rid of them. You know, oh, yeah. all this kind of talk. You know, and just just sort of openly genocidal talk and this kind of thing. And I mean, um, once every two months at least, Joe Biden goes out and talks about how easy it would be to like murder anybody guns, who right? disagreed gonna, with it. Like, yeah. don't worry, I've got uh, I've you know, I've got jets. I can I can yeah, just, exactly. I can use drones to snipe you. Like, or or yeah. or, or like when uh, after that terrible. Um, shooting in that school committed by a a, a, a deranged um, a deranged individual who thought that they were the opposite sex. Um, that, like, I believe he started the press conference with a joke. Um, clearly, this wasn't a this wasn't really any sort of serious issue for him. I, I got to say, yeah, I, I I I knew that the left hated us, but. <laughs> It was a it was an amazing thing to watch them just stand up and basically say like, well, man, those Christian kids, they deserved it. You know, at the end yeah. of the day, 
they were really asking for it and uh, they they got what that was coming to them that was that was an amazing moment if you read any history of spain leading up to the civil war this kind of talk happens every two pages people say this kind of thing i mean and just just like in spain in america now there are there are high level politicians even the president who use this kind of rhetoric just openly openly hating openly oh we don't just uh, it would be so much better if they just weren't here you know that that kind of rhetoric um and in, in fact there was um there was a, a a bbc documentary on the civil war from the 1970s um which is on youtube i think it's it's annoyingly pro pro leftist but there's a very interesting interview in it where they're interviewing um uh, an old ex um phalangist which was the kind of um i want to say it was the fascist party but it you uh Spanish fascism cannot be compared to Italian fascism or to national socialism in Germany. The very, very different thing in, thing entirely. But but it turns out they, that these nationalist movements were specific to yeah, the nation. Yeah. yeah. It was it was much, much more heavily Catholic. It was much more kind of radically conservative, if that makes sense. It was it was it was it was kind of um just the radical approach to to Spanish traditionalism. Um and they were interviewing a man who was very old by then, but in his teen years. He had been a member of the um, Phalangist Party, um, and he had been to all the youth groups. I mean, back 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 then, the Spanish equivalent of being sort of a Boy Scout was just being a member of the local political youth. You know, you'd either be a a young Marxist or a or a young conservative or a young fascist. You know, that was just how it was. And he said that um, he remembers in 1936 he was walking down the street one day in his home city, and um, he said that in those days. When I saw a man who I knew to be a socialist or a communist, he said, I wasn't looking at a person who was a socialist. I was looking at the devil himself. Like that you didn't see a you didn't see a person, you just saw pure, just the, the enemy. Just all you saw was an enemy. And he said that that's how we all felt about each other. He said there was no there was no regard for the kind of normal uh sort of peaceful sort of political social connections people have. It was just it was just this constant feeling that something was going to have to be done soon to destroy the other side, or it was all going to just be over, you know? And sure. that, that is what strikes me as particularly analogous to American now is the way people talk about each other. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a, it's a unsettling uh, parallel to draw obviously for, for many reasons, but I think that these periods in history are incredibly important. I think this is one that again, most, especially Americans don't know almost anything about. And when they do, it's only in its its vague connections to a world war uh, too. Mm. It, it it doesn't have any context in its own. So that's why I wanted to have you on because, like you said, I think there there are a lot of unfortunate uh, you know connections to much of what we're seeing now. And I think uh, you know his, history is important for that reason. It can always give us context and understanding for how these things have gone in the past, in the hopes that uh, they they can go somewhat better in the future. But uh, mm. we are coming up for our hour now, and we do have some questions from the people. So uh, before we pivot over to uh, audience questions, can you let people know uh, where they can find your work? And, uh, you know, do you have anything coming up that they should be looking forward to? Um, I, you can see my uh, channel, which is just uh, Panama hat. It's probably linked down below. Um, and there's my Twitter, which is at verse by hat. Um, again, I've, I've been very, very uh, busy in my personal life of late. So I haven't been putting out as much online stuff, but there, but there will be more, more videos, more content. Um, my friend uh, and I are working on an authoritative English translation of the aphorisms of Nicolas Gomez Davila, um, which uh, is not going to be out for quite a long time yet, obviously, but uh, uh, we're making some quite good progress in that regard in getting it all set up. Um, and uh, that is pretty much it. Um, I will have some quite big things to promote soon, as I keep saying to people, but <laughs> but uh, not not just yet, not just yet. Excellent. Well, once you're ready for that, maybe we'll have you on for another uh, history episode and you you can uh, let us know. What's Absolutely. Anytime. anytime. Absolutely. All right. So to our questions here, uh, based uh, Joe for one ninety nine. <laughs> uh, I'm just here to give you my money. Well, thank you very much, sir. I appreciate it. Uh, let's see. Uh, Tex-Mex for five dollars. Uh, the Carlists were the real organizers of the Civil War. Uh, Generals Sanjuri. Uh, I'm not going to pronounce any of this right. Just, just to San Absolutely. Exactly. Just what I was about to say. How did you know? Uh, <laughs> and Bolo with Manuel, Manuel Falconde and Don Javert. I don't know. How organized you... the uprising. Um, um, I don't know if I completely agree with that statement. The Carlists were very instrumental because 
once the uprising got going and the nationalists needed manpower, the very first people to volunteer en masse for the cause were the Carlists. Um, they, you have to remember that there were there were young men whose grandfathers had fought in the actual Carlist wars, um, whose whose you know they still had their old muskets and rifles hanging on the wall above the fireplace, you know. And as soon as the coup started, these young men all came out with their with their red berets to come and fight for the cause, you know, to make Spain Catholic again, make straight make Spain traditional again. Um, so I wouldn't say that the Carlists were the big organizers. I think that was mainly Mola and um, a lot of the really more intelligent members of the high command. But yes, the Carlists were a gigantic um, help and aid in the Civil War. And not, I agree that not enough credit is, um, is, is, is given to them. Um, uh, Texbex again for $5. By the way, the Carlists are still active and have circles in Hispanic America. Here in Texas, there is uh, the Camino Real de Tejas Carlist Circle. Uh, check us out. All right. So I had no idea about that. Still, uh, still kind of a fraternal type uh, order over there. The, the Carlists are still going in Spain, but they're not as uh, based as they used to be. Unfortunately, they have oh. uh, they have wetted a bit over the, the years. I think the o O'Sullivan's Law comes for everybody. <laughs> yeah. Um, even the Carlists. Uh, Prince of Parma for ten dollars. Please continue the series with the Ryan Turnip Seed. Yes, I've heard epic things about the the I, uh, the, I uh, would... the Ryan. I, I really well the thing is that that was meant to be like the sort of uh like the sort of soft warm-up for the for a big multi-stream series on Spain. I think the problem is I, I would be free to do that, but he is currently, I believe, embroiled in um a struggle with his church, isn't he? Um, he's got quite a lot going on right now. Yeah, I'm sure, he's yeah. got a lot of things in his personal life. I don't think he currently has the time, which is a great shame, but I'm sure once you know I, I i do i do pray for him quite a lot because he is really putting up a hard fight over there he is, yeah. um and i hope once he's in the clear from that um we're able to continue but yes i i greatly enjoyed uh those regular streams of turnip yeah i've had ryan on multiple times obviously he's very knowledgeable uh, and uh, mm -hmm. he's a great uh, conversation partner so uh well worth it if nothing else perhaps we will we will continue some some streams along this line uh and uh tex-mex again here for two dollars carlos motto uh the carlos motto God, fatherland, king, and uh, how do we say this? Fueros. Ah, um, there we go. Which means kind of, it's, it's, there's no direct translation, but it means kind of like local privileges or like municipal privileges. Because like, obviously in a, in a medieval feudal society, each, each town, each, each province, each people tend to have their own legal codes and their own laws. This, 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 this whole idea of one country with one constitution and, and, and sort of set of laws is quite new. Mm -hmm. um, for most of human history, each each area and each each kind of group had its own privileges and its own its own understandings, its own customs, which the which the king would respect. Right. That's that's what that's what they mean by fueros is um, kind of a, a type of legal traditional legal particularism. Excellent. All right. Well, we are learning everything here, guys. All right. Um, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. But I want to, of course, thank Panama Hat uh, so much for coming on. Uh, excellent work. Please make sure to check out his YouTube channel, follow him in on him on Twitter, and hopefully we'll uh, have him back on here soon for some more history. Uh, do, you, do you mind if I just say two more things? Oh, no, um, absolutely. Go ahead. I've, a few people have been asking me. Um, so, yes, as I said, the best book on the collapse of the Republic is Stanley Payne's The Collapse of the Second Spanish Republic. Um, Duke Valentino, um, the movie While at War is worth a watch. Um, it's very interesting and gives quite an interesting insight into how the coup unfolded to destroy the Republic. Um, and uh, uh, Voltaire, Den Total in Krieg, uh, that we, 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 we have, um, we have some academic funding um, for that project. So it should be, it should be a good one. Um, in, in introspection about the international brigades, um, the best book to read about that is uh, George Orwell's um, book on March to Catalonia, which uh, even though he was a leftist, that tells you all about how, how riven with factionalism the leftists were. And also part of the reason that the Republicans lost is because the um, leftists were too busy fighting between themselves um, to fight Franco. And by the end of the war, they hated each other so much they would rather live under, in Franco's Spain than in uh, the opposing leftist faction Spain. So <laughs> it, it was so wild. Where, again, when I like, I remember when I first learned about the Spanish uh, or the Spanish Civil War, and just like these communist boasts, like they they ended up losing because the you know fights because like 
these communist boats would just refuse to go and fight. Like they would just, they would take a yeah. boat and not go. And like, it's just comical. Like it's, it's, it's if you were going to make some kind of uh, farce about communists yeah. trying to go to war, like that. Terrible, that would be it. terrible. Um, also, I, I recommend the book, um, The Victorious Counter-Revolution, um, which is all about how the nationalists won through economic factors. It's almost like an economics book about the war, which, basically says that in the in the in the nationalist area there was absolute order the nationalists was very good at keeping law and order wherever they were right there that you would if if you were like if you lived in a in a town that was captured on day 1 of the coup and wasn't ever on the front line you would barely even know there was a civil war right the nationalists made sure the food was there there was still alcohol the trains and, ran and, on and time luxuries huh? the trains were on time supplies got in there was power and petrol there was order whereas in the republican zone chaos um i know we're running out of time but i wanted to tell one of my favorite anecdotes about uh about the civil war which is um up in up in navarre navarre which is a region up in the north of spain um quite heavily carlist um in fact uh in 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 the famous city of uh, pamplona where they have the bull run every year Mm -hmm. when they heard that the coup was happening they celebrated it as a festival (laughs) um they brought out all the, the music and bands and everything um it was up there where the where the front line was um, during one particularly harsh winter. The nationalist troops there had access to a very large local food supply, and they ate these very sumptuous dinners every night with you know rice and and all these you know multiple courses and wine and 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 sweets and things. And it was a very 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 sumptuous dinner to get you through the winter. Whereas the Republican troops on the other side were, were freezing to death on you know the most meager rations if they had any at all. Um, and the nationalists in that sector came up with a tactic where they they set up these big loudspeakers all down the front line, and every night they would broadcast their dinner menu oh, no. <laughs> across the front line <laughs> to the Republican troops, That's and Republican troops were defecting in the hundreds yep. basically when they heard this because it doesn't matter how much of a motivated fighter you are of any ideology once once your stomach's empty and it's freezing and you're you know you haven't eaten in three days and everything's rubbish. It becomes very tempting to defect if you know the enemy has all these rich reserves of uh, food and supplies and everything is much better organized, you know. Absolutely. Um, yeah. No, that's nice. Um, also, I want to say hi to, I can never, I don't know how to say his name because I've never learned any Greek, but uh, the chap with the Greek name in the chat who who is a regular of the turnip streams, I want to say hi to him. Okay, excellent. All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap it up then. Again, thanks everybody for coming by. Uh, if it's your first time here on the channel, Make sure that you go ahead and subscribe. And if you'd like to get these broadcasts as podcasts, you can, of course, listen to the Orrin McIntyre show on your favorite podcast platform. All right, guys, we'll see you all uh, later and I will talk to you next time.